Is communication mixed down? Hello, I'm John Langer. Almost daily we're bombarded by reports of fake news and misinformation. You're probably getting this sort of stuff yourself on your smartphone. And the global pandemic has proved to be fertile ground for this growing tendency. Just last week there were widespread news reports about Russia and Iran using spoofed emails trying to influence the results of the upcoming presidential election. Then there's been the seemingly endless stream of fake news posts on social media about the COVID crisis, its origins, and its impact or lack of it. Could an increase in the levels of media literacy in the community be the answer? Tanya Notley thinks it may well be. Tanya researches and teaches in the area of communication, technology, and social change at Western Sydney University. She's also the deputy chair of the recently formed Australia Media Literacy Alliance, and they've been involved in helping to organize this year's National Media Literacy Week, which starts today and runs until Friday. I spoke to Tanya Notley about Media Literacy Week on what turned out to be a very scratchy and stubbornly uncooperative mobile phone link. Just to get a few of the coordinates for our discussion, tell me about Media Literacy Week and what is it and what, what's its purpose? Sure, John. Um, so Global Media and Information Literacy Week was actually initiated uh, back, I think, in 2012 by UNESCO, which is the UN Agency for Education, Science and Culture. And it quickly became a really significant event in lots of countries, um, including the US and, and Canada too, I believe. Um, but that's not really been the case in Australia until Annabelle Asprey, who is the head of ABC Education, decided to initiate some events here uh, three years ago. And ABC really got behind this. They invested in a whole suite of media literacy resources that was aimed at schools. So it's been continuing and growing slowly since then. Um, So this is the the third year, and um, there are a number of organisations getting behind it and and hosting events, and the hope is that every year it's going to keep getting bigger in Australia. And you're the deputy chair of the Australian Media Literacy Alliance. Can you talk about the alliance, how it came about, and what it's a- what it aims to do? Sure. So um, the alliance, AMLA, is made up of key public institutions who are all in their own ways doing work to advance media literacy. And we really came together um, very much linked around Media Literacy Week and uh, the work and research that a number of us were doing and decided that just far more needs to happen in Australia. We really need to progress um, efforts for media literacy because in most, certainly many advanced democracies in the world, you've got a whole lot of resources. You've got government policy, you've got national funding, you've got a peak body all focused on media literacy and we haven't had that. So UMLA's really... An, um, 
uh, an effort, the Australian Media Literacy Alliance, to really get things moving. And our hope, we've just started this year, is that we will support members across the country and do things like advocate for the importance of media literacy across society and um, look at the challenges and the achievements of media literacy in Australia, um, provide direction for educators, whether that's in school or out of school um, learning, and really encourage a whole of community response where we're, we're working together to ensure that you know media literacy is something that helps people achieve the things they want to achieve in life because it's pretty hard to think now of any area of your life where media is not really critical to its success whether that's you know health getting a job um, learning meeting people um, so you know we really think that lifelong media literacy is critical for life. And, it, and you're saying it just it just started this year, is that right? Um, well, the Australian Media Literacy Alliance, yes, just formed this year. So we're really in our early stages. And early next year, we will have a whole um, national consultation process because there are so many people and so many organisations who are, of course, doing media literacy. And what we hope to do is really build on that and grow that work and celebrate it um, as part of, you know, really a national effort. Um, so, of course... Uh, community radio is a great example of that. You know, media literacy efforts happen and have happened for decades through community radio. So, you know, we'd certainly love to see the community radio sector involved and, and think about how we support the things that have developed in um, the community radio sector to be utilised in, in other parts of, um, you know, in, whether in schools or in libraries. So, yeah, I think there's just so much opportunity to grow what's happening, but also to learn from one another. Mm, very interesting. Now, I'd like to place these broad coordinates, if I could call them that, into a very grounded and practical context. And this involves some of the research you conducted earlier in the year where you were looking specifically at young people and their use and engagement with news media. Why did you un decide to undertake this research? So along with my colleague Michael DeGiovanni from Queensland University of Technology, um, I've been doing research into young people in news for about four years. And I guess that work really came about um, because of growing public conversations and anxieties about misinformation in society. And what we recognised is actually there was really no research on young people in news in Australia. So lots of things were being said about young people getting all their news from social media, not fact-checking. But in actual fact, there was no research. So we started that research four years ago and we started with a, um, a national survey back in 2017 that's representative of young people aged 8 to 16. We looked at, you know, where are they getting their news? Do they have skills that would help them identify misinformation? What's their experience of news and expectations? And then we repeated and further developed that survey uh, this year. So we were able to compare results from 2017 to 2020. So, you know, that, that really tells us a lot about how things have changed. And uh, briefly, could you explain your methodology? How did you actually conduct the research? Just to give us a bit of background on it. Sure. So it's a nationally representative um, survey. So we were we worked with a survey implementation company, and the survey was run online. And so it's representative in terms of the age brackets of young people between eight and sixteen, but also their location and 
metropolitan versus rural and remote and also um, uh, uh, gender as well. So um, it represents, it's over a thousand young people were surveyed, it represents that age cohort. So we can say with a high degree of confidence that the results really reflect what's going on there in terms of um, how they consume news and also um, their experience of misinformation and media literacy too. And uh, this is a logical question to follow. What were some of the noteworthy findings from your study? You wrote in your report, for example, that some of the findings you found very challenging. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, one of the, well, I guess one of the caveats is, of course, we carried out this survey at the very beginning of COVID. So we were aware that, you know, young people's news consumption may have changed because of that. It was the very early stages in, in um, sort of March that we, that we carried out the survey. So what we did find was that young people's news consumption was much higher than 2017. What we can't say is how much that was influenced by COVID, but also the bushfires because, um, of course, it was just at the end of the, um, the, the 2019 summer bushfires. Um, so what we have found, though, is yes, they're consuming, consuming more news, but it's how they're consuming that news that's really of great interest to us. So um, the tradi- getting news from traditional sources via newspapers, via radio and via television, and television is a very popular source of news for young people and, in fact, all of Australians. While that had sort of remained the same, what had really grown was what we call socially mediated news consumption. So they were getting more news from family, from friends, from teachers, and then from social networks. So the the big increase really was in news from those sources. Um, A lot more news consumption, particularly for teenagers, via social media. And the social media platforms they were getting that news from had changed a lot from 2017 as well to show sort of how quickly these you know these things are changing. There's a couple of other things that I noted that were very, quite interesting was that things about the amount of stress and sort of the way the news disturbed uh, young people. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's right. Um, 75% of young people said that news made them upset or sad, um, often or sometimes, um, and 62% afraid, 60% angry. All of these were increases. And interestingly, the increases were most significant for girls. Um, you know, So that's um, something that I think we really need to be aware of you know, as community members, as parents and grandparents and teachers. Um, I think that's, that's really important. Um, but it's also important to remember there was, there's a flip side to that because um, more young people feel knowledgeable as a result of the news and feel able to act. So, um, you know, what we really see is that there is this cohort of young people, maybe a third of young people, for whom news is not important. And in fact, they really want um, trusted people in their life to relay it to them when they need to know it. And then you, on the other end of the spectrum, you have at least a third of young people who say that news is really important in their lives um, and that they really want to engage with it and it really matters to them and it really helps them to decide 
how to act and, and, and how they think about things. So, you know, I think sometimes um, when these kind of broad generalisations are made about young people, there's an assumption that news doesn't matter to them and that they're not consuming a lot, and that's not at all what we find. So we think that's really important that, um, to recognise that for many young people, news is a really important part of their lives. That's Australian Media Literacy Alliance Deputy Chair and Lecturer at Western Sydney University, Tanya Notley, talking about news engagement and young people. Back with more after this. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs fly on the road. And I had like this feast with a carrot, and carrots are my favorite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff, and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food that would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. Another thing you noted was that quite a lot of the young people that you interviewed said that the news that they were getting was not really relevant to them as young people. They wanted basically news that in a sense direct was addressed to them yeah that's right um so two-thirds of young people and this is exactly the same for our figure for um 2017 said that news organizations have no idea what their lives are like and they also see bias and this was very similar to our 2017 results in terms of how women uh, men and women are treated um, and they see bias in terms of how people from different cultural backgrounds are treated. So um, it's not a perfect rosy picture. Young people have uh, many complaints with news organisations and um, who's represented and who's included and I think that's a really vital thing for news organisations to consider at a time when news consumption patterns are changing so radically. Either they really address these kinds of bias and include young people or they're not going to have um, their trust and they're not going to have that audience there um, in years to come. So, yeah, I think that's a, a really critical thing. Young people say news is really important to them, but, but many are very unsatisfied with um, how they're treated in the news. And I think, you know, for that younger cohort, the children aged age 12, things like BTN, Behind the News, um, also other children's news programs like Squiz Kids, which is an independent podcast for that age group, um, play a, a really important role because they you know, provide news that is um, safe, that is directly created for that audience, and they do a better job of including them. Talk a little bit about the, uh, you mentioned it just before, about the social media aspects. Quite a number of the, the, the young people are consuming news from social media. This was something that was different from 2017, and this was an area that you were concerned about in relation to misinformation and uh, fake news and that sort of thing. Well, news consumption via social media had increased a lot, both for children and teens, but especially for teens. And um, for teenagers, 
um, back in 2017, family and television were the most preferred and trusted news sources. Most preferred for teenagers now is social media. So they prefer to get their news via social media. So that's, I think, a really important change. And then in terms of um, the social media platforms that they're using, um, we have saw, as you might expect, a big drop in um, Facebook, but Instagram was the platform that had uh, increased the most for news consumption. So um, I think this, this is a really interesting shift as well, of course, news on Instagram or on TikTok are very different things than news on Facebook. Um, there's no direct links on those platforms that will take you back to the original source. Um, so that's a problem for news media organisations, but it also makes it harder for young people to verify news and less in, um, li- means they're less likely to do so. So we really didn't see any increases in young people's action to verify news. Um, uh, we didn't see them regularly taking steps that would help them do that when we asked them you know, about whether they... Uh, check the source even of their news or whether they look across sites um, when they're faced with um, with claims relation to news. So a whole uh, suite of things we asked them about and we found that young people are not doing these things regularly. So um, I think that's of concern. It's not vastly different to the behaviour of adults. That's interesting that you've just said that because that was one of the things that when I was reading through the report, it was one of the things that occurred to me that the acceptance of this misinformation and fake news and or trying to f- find the sources was something not just that uh, young people wouldn't be doing, but adults wouldn't be doing as well. And this sort of leads me on to the next question. If we, If you wouldn't mind, we could widen the focus of our discussion a little bit here and could you talk about what you see as the relationship between the findings of your research and issues to do with media literacy because I think you're alluding to this right now. Yeah look we and we did ask in the survey two questions around on news media literacy. We asked in particular have young people if they'd had any lessons in school in the 12 months before the survey to help them decide if news is true and can be trusted. And that hadn't changed at all since 2017. So just one in five young people felt that they had had a lesson in school to help them decide if news is true and can be trusted. And that's a real shock to us because given all of the public discussion around information, we thought that there would be a real shift there and that many more teachers would be integrating that into the classroom. But that's not how young people perceive it at least. So... Um, and then in terms of them producing news in the classroom, that had, that had actually decreased since 2017. You know, we've also done a lot of research with teachers, and there's many reasons. You know, teachers really tell us that they think that this is really important and they need to do more media, they, they want to do news media literacy education in the classroom. Many of them are, but they're really held back by curriculum pressures, timetable pressures, um, a lack of training support to help them do that. I'm not sure how this fits, but there's something that occurred to me as, as well as I was reading through the report and as you were talking, young... In your report, it's, it, you found that young people trust their families as a, as a news source. Could there be an argument or a case made for adults to gain media literacy that, and they in turn could pass the skills on to their children rather than leaving it up to the schools and the school curriculum? Is there, is there a sort of space there where 
adult, adult media literacy could be, could become a factor in in the in the equation. The number one source for young people to get their news um, is family. The number one trusted source is family, and that was a real surprise to us back in 2017. Um, I guess you know the kind of conversations we have. People think that news isn't being consumed. Um, but, but households are talking about it, and they're particularly talking about it when it really matters, you know, during events this year around COVID. There's a lot of discussion about news in the household. And so I think there's a real opportunity for the way that parents have that discussion to really think about, you know, talking about the source of the news, talking about um, the facts and how they've been verified. So I think just by shifting the way those conversations happen, um, really important news media literacy education can happen. Of course, the only way that we can ensure all Australians, all people, get some kind of education is through school. So I think that remains really important, but um, households are so influential. They're absolutely shaping young people's practices and um, really influencing the way they see things. And, you know, because parents are so trusted um, when it comes to news, they have a really important role to play. There's no doubt about that. Let's move on to some forward thinking. Uh, What would you like to see happening in the broad area of media literacy, say in the shorter term, and then in in a slightly longer haul? Well, like I said, there's so many organisations that do do media literacy, um, you know, everything from community radio centres to youth centres, community arts projects, um, schools, libraries, um, this sort of thing is happening everywhere. But I think what's really important is that we agree that media literacy is about more than tech skills. The tech skills are really important, but I think they've been a focus for a bit too long. And so whether you know you are consuming, you're creating, you're sharing, you're responding to media, media literacy has to be about asking these critical questions about who's being included, how are people and places being represented, you know, who owns this media and what control do they have, are they giving others, how do the technologies operate and who's benefiting from that. And I think it's really vital that that critical dimension is there in everything that we do um, in relation to media education and media literacy has to be about that as well. It has to be about supporting people to make media work for us all, for you know, a fairer society where people are not misrepresented, they're not excluded from media. So I think that's something that we can all work towards by really asking critical questions about what we do ourselves and, and saying for all organisations doing that work. But building momentum, I think, and um, and partnerships across Australia is really important, and that's the work that the Australian Media Literacy Alliance really want to do. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, most advanced democracies already have like policies and national funding, and we need to move towards that. So, UMLA really want to support um, a network-based organisation where they're supporting and. Um, really amplifying the work people are doing across the country and really looking at how we can grow this and make sure that um, you know all people have access to lifelong media literacy education that can support them to achieve the things in life they want to achieve. Now, just to finish up, going right back to the beginning of our discussion, tell us about a few of the special events that are going to be on for Media Literacy Week this year. 
Yeah, great. So um, Media Literacy Week is um, this week starting the uh, 26th, so um, today all the way up until the end of the week, um, the 30th. And so there are um, a number of events. A few that I could mention here is um, for librarians, the Australian Library Information Association are hosting an event on Wednesday, um, a media literacy event. The Foundation for Young Australians, um, also on Wednesday, are hosting a panel, which is a huge study they've done to look at young people in the Australian news media during COVID, how they've been included and represented, a really great study. So they're hosting an online panel with um, a whole lot of media organisations on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, the National Film, uh, National Sound and Film Archive are hosting another online event, Psychology for Persuasion, looking at media literacy and advertising in Australia. And then on a Friday, um, ABC's Behind the News are hosting a special media literacy-themed program. You are listening to Tanya Notley from Western Sydney University. She's the Deputy Chair of the Australian Media Literacy Alliance, and we've been talking about this year's Media Literacy Week. If you missed those events coming up, just type into your search engine Media Literacy Week 2020, and there's lots of information and lots of links. Once again, apologies for the gravelly sound on this week's show. That's all from this edition of Communication Mixdown. Back again next Monday at 6. Let's go out with this.